Hi everyone, welcome to the Lifestyles Medicine Podcast. This is Daniel Cho from Lifestyles Medicine. In this episode, we'll be listening in to another Lifestyle Med Live event on nutrition and the gut microbiome. The speaker is Dr. Pekka Matinen, who's a professor at Berman University, who's done research on the gut microbiome and specifically plant-based diets and their effect on the gut. This is part one of a two-part series. Let's listen in. All right, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, Last on Med Live. Uh, we really thank you for joining us today. Uh, and uh, before we begin, I just want to just do some health, housekeeping things. First, uh, this is being recorded and live streamed on Facebook as we speak. So just to adjust your camera, adjust your audio accordingly. So this is being recorded and this is live streamed. All right. Uh, we are going to take questions. It's going to happen at the end, not during. So if you have a question, and we hope to get to as many questions as possible, please type your question in the chat as the presentation is going. And then uh, when Dr. Martinen is done his talk, then we will try to get to as many of your questions as possible. Question answer is always the fun, most uh, fun and interesting time in, in uh, uh, events like this. So we want to encourage you to ask your questions. There's no a dumb question, just ask your questions. Uh, Dr. Martin is here as a resource for you. And so we want to ensure that you get your questions answered and we try to get to as many as possible. Also, uh, just to be aware, this is for educational purposes only. So please speak with the healthcare provider before applying any of the information shared today. All right. Uh, we have two sponsors that are sponsoring this program. First is Pathways to Homeless Lifestyle Medicine, which is a naturopathic and lifestyle medicine clinic in the Toronto area. If you'd like to learn more about what uh, we do at the clinic, you can uh, go to that website there or call that number. Also, uh, this program is also hosted by Lifestyle is Medicine. Lifestyle is Medicine is a non-for-profit organization based in Toronto. And uh, Lifestyle Medicine puts on Lifestyle Medicine programming for the community. We try to educate people on the basic principles of Lifestyle Medicine. Lifestyle is Medicine is the main host of this program. So we want to thank both organizations for hosting this wonderful program. Today, we're discussing one of the hottest topics in science, in medical science today, which is the gut microbiome. Uh, for the last decade or so, I would say, Tons of research is coming out on this topic. Uh, they're realizing that the gut microbiome is massively important for human health. It affects your brain, depression, uh, immunity, uh, of course, the gut. It has impacts on even diseases that we never really thought that there was a connection before, like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and the list goes on and on. The more we're studying, the more we're, we're, we are realizing how important the gut microbiome is. But unfortunately, there's a lot of, also a lot of confusion about how to live a lifestyle that best promotes gut health. And so to get through all the weeds and to help us, we have someone who is uh, qualified to speak on this topic is Dr. Pekka Matinen. Uh, Dr. Matinen is a professor of biology at Berman University in Alberta. He's also a gut microbiome researcher. He did research uh, most recently at the hospital for sick children and he is an expert in this area and uh, we want to really thank Dr. Martinen for 
donating his time to speak with our group today to help us understand, you know, what does the science actually say? Not the gimmicks, but what does the science actually say? And also the latest science on how to maintain and keep a healthy gut microbiome. So Dr. Martin, thanks so much for joining on the program today. Welcome to Lifestyle Med Live and the floor is yours. Thank you for inviting me to come join. I'm glad you guys have such a uh, thing going on as this during this interesting time we're living, right? So um, uh, yeah, I'm excited to start. Uh, so should I just jump in? I'll just share my screen here. That's fine. Everybody see that okay? Yep. All right, wonderful. I don't know if they can see me at the same time or uh, it doesn't really matter so much. Uh, it's more about the slides at the moment. Um, so uh, I, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the microbiome. Hopefully we can have some time for questions and answers. Uh, thankful that you've joined for this um, Lifestyle is Medicine webinar. Um, so I'm, I've titled the talk, Feed Your Friends, Starve Your Foes. Um, and you can see this gentleman here um, looking very intently at the um, battle within um, and recognizing that, uh, that there is a battle. And so he's trying to fight the good fight with a little bit of yogurt, right? So um, this is probably what many of you have heard uh, about is yogurt. You know, it's probiotic. It has all these good things in it. Um, to promote that. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the microbiome. What are some of the ways uh, we can at least sh that have been shown that we can support a good healthy uh, microbiome and then certainly this is a, an active area that's not very well. Uh, how do we say understood entirely yet. So we're going to talk about some of the unknowns and and hopefully um, there'll be lots of questions. So um, with that let me continue on here. Well, it's not letting me. Oh, there we go. So before I go on, I, I have a bit of a disclaimer here. Um, you know, I'm not your doctor. Um, so I'm not here to give you medical advice. Um, nor am I a mental health practitioner. I'm not talking too much about mental health here. But you all know there's a gut brain axis, um, potentially anyway. Um, so anything any changes you make in your own lifestyle, um, make sure you talk to your doctor about that. Um, you know, of course, I think you can go and uh, eat, try some different foods and you probably don't have to consult with your doctor on that. But, uh, you know, keep in mind that making any major changes you should talk to your doctor about. So with that, um, many of you have probably heard this before, that um, uh, th this is not a new thing. <laughs> uh, the idea that the gut is important, even though it's become a big hype nowadays, uh, the fact that the gut is important has been known for a long time. Um, Hippocrates even stated that all disease begins in the gut. Um, and he also said other famous things like, let food be your medicine. So we'll talk about that connection a little bit. So when we're talking about the gut microbiota, just by definition, I think we have to talk a little bit about what they are. So in and on your body, there are approximately 100 trillion microbial cells. Um, now, when I say microbial cells, I don't mean just um, bacteria, even though bacteria are a major component. Um, there are other types of microbes. Uh, there are eukaryotic microbes, there are fungi, there are viruses, um, there, there are worms, helminths. There are a lot of different types of microbes. Uh, we tend to, in the Northern Hemisphere, not have so many of the uh, the worm type here, but certainly we 
we have a lot of different microbes. And this picture uh, was, I would say, a little bit of an overstatement back in the day. Um, the idea is that, you know, there's about three times more uh, microbial cells than human cells in your body. It's probably been, it's probably more like 1.3 microbial cells per human cell. So we are still outnumbered, um, uh, but it probably depends on who you're talking to. So uh, the number of cells in our body uh, that are our own are actually outnumbered by the number that aren't. And so that begs the question, well, what are they doing? How are they affecting us? And we don't look like this person here, right? Uh, uh, we, and why is that? Well, microbial cells, especially the bacteria in particular, are about 50 times smaller than your own body's cell. So that's, that's why you just, uh, you know, you still look like a person and not, and not a, a big conglomerate of microbes. Um, when, it, when we talk about the genetics now, this is where it gets it's a little bit more interesting. Um, there is a tremendous, or there are a tremendous number of genes that are uh, represented by those microbes. So we are dwarfed uh, by the genetics of the microbes that are in and on us. Um, we only have about 23,000 genes, give or take, and there are about 2 million plus uh, microbial genes. So the genetic potential there is, is quite massive. And this has caused a lot of hype. Um, as you've heard, the microbiome has been generating a lot of interest in our ecosystem. Microbes make the man, fellow travelers, all this kind of stuff. And it's making some people wonder, am I the victim of my microbiome? Um, and, you know, let, we'll see if, if there are ways that you might be able to, to adjust that. So the question has become, what, what are these microbes? Who are they? What are they doing? Uh, and, and how do they affect us? And you might be wondering, well, how do we even know that they do affect us? Maybe they're just in our body or on our body and all they're doing is being there because they have a nice warm place to be, right? Fair question. Um, well, uh, just, just to kind of give you an idea of how this hype in research is actually, uh, you know, if you follow the money, right? Not to say that it's always better to follow the money, but if you follow the money over the last few years from 2007 up to 2016, the amount of US dollars invested in microbiome research has just been increasing, uh, not quite exponentially, but quite, quite significantly. So uh, there's definitely a lot of interest. And why is there this kind of interest? Well, the microbiome seems to be quite a powerful thing. Um, for example, if you take an individual who is obese, here you can see an A here, this obese individual, and you take their, um, their, microbes, their microbiome and you, uh, their gut microbiome, and we're going to talk about uh, where most of these bacteria reside. The vast, vast, vast majority of them are in your colon. You take a, a transplant of those microbes, put them into a lean mouse, that mouse will become obese on the same diet it was eating before. So there's some power there. Those microbes seem to be having an effect on the way um, the metabolism goes. Now, if you take a lean individual and you transplant uh, its, uh, you know, the, the microbes from this lean individual into a, into a mouse, the mouse stays lean. Um, but, but if you transplant the microbes from this obese mouse into that lean mouse, it also becomes obese. So there's even, even uh, you, can, you can transmit this uh, from one, uh, you know, organism to another and even from one generation to another, which is, which is another, another story. Uh, but the, the real thing that's caused a little bit of a hype in, I would say, um, one of the cottage industry of fecal microbial transplantation, unfortunately, is this idea that you can take microbes from someone who's lean, transplant them into somebody who's 
uh, obese uh, or maybe has a certain type of um, issue with their metabolic syndrome or something. And that will actually lead to uh, improved insulin sensitivity. And so th these are the kinds of um, studies, even though this person doesn't miraculously become lean, right? That's, that doesn't happen. It's not quite that miraculous. But certainly the effect uh, on metabolism is very real. So how is it that these microbes are having this effect and what are they really doing? Well, one major challenge in studying the, the microbiota, as, as I brought up earlier, is that there are just so many of them and they are so different. And we are very different in our microbiomes. So how do we actually study this? How do we even make conclusions about it? Well, one thing that we've noted over time or researchers have noted as they've been studying the microbiota is that there are, uh, there's a tendency to have more diverse microbes in healthier people. So if you eat a more diet, a, a diverse diet, you have greater microbial diversity. And as a result of that, um, greater microbial diversity, you have less inflammation, less frailty. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a result, right? These could be just correlations. So, you know, some people say, well, is it causative? Who knows? But uh, it does turn out that less diverse microbes also correlate with higher inflammation, more frailty as you get older, these kinds of issues. So it's definitely clear that there are, if you have, and when I say diversity, I mean how many different types of microbes and how evenly spread they are. So there's two different sort of measures of that. And, and when you look at the, the number of types and you look at the evenness of the spread, if you get, a, a, you know, richness would be the number of types, uh, diversity would be how evenly they're spread. You get a better idea of, well, wait a minute, um, that having a, a, a rich variety of microbes there seems to be really important. Um, and, and having diversity um, that's more even is also good. So when we look at the microbiome as it develops, so when you're a baby, um, there's, you, you start out with a seeding of your microbiome uh, by your mother. Um, and and through your mother. In fact, there are studies showing now that there are specific microbes um, that can even be found in utero. Um, it was thought that that was a, uh, you know, borderline sterile environment, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Not very many though. So the major seeding event that takes place is actually once the baby uh, is born and go, it passes through the vaginal canal, or uh, in this case, we're not showing it, but if they did, if they were born by cesarean section, there's, there's, a, there's a significant impact on the type of microbes. So for example, they would be populated with microbes more present on just the skin. If they come out through C-section, if, if they come out through the vaginal canal, they're gonna be coated with microbes that you find there. And then those microbes will, will populate them. And how you feed them, whether they're breastfed or formula fed, affects the type of microbes. When we're looking at the phylum level, you can see there are the pink ones and the green ones, and you don't have to memorize all this, right? Um, but it's interesting to note that there are big differences um, between whether an, uh, a baby is born uh, by, or a baby is fed formula or a baby is breastfed. And that's something that's, I think, very important. We're going to talk a little bit about um, shortly as well. The two major phyla are Firmicutes and Bacteroidetes. These are the ones that really um, uh, are, are the main ones that you find in your gut. And there are a lot of species within them. So. 
Uh, the human microbiota, just to kind of tell you a little bit more, reiterate sort of where they, where they are and, and how they develop. So the vast, vast majority of them are found in our gastrointestinal tract. And the reason I'm talking primarily about bacteria in this talk is because they're the ones that have been really most studied. Um, the others we're still working on, particularly the viruses. That's an area I would say it's quite a black area right now. So 95% of the bacteria are in our gut. Um, over a thousand different species have been identified in, in people. Um, and that doesn't mean that you personally have a thousand different species on you. It just, you probably have what, what they found is an, on average about between 100 and 200-ish species of, of bacteria per person, depending on how diverse your, your microbiota is. And it interacts with you. So your microbiota is interacting with you across this very large surface area, uh, about 900 square feet. So it is not a small section that it, it interacts with you. And we're going to take a little look at that shortly here. Um, so one thing, as I was mentioning the difference between formula and breastfeeding, one key interesting thing that is found in breast milk is, uh, did you know that you have fiber in your breast milk? <laughs> uh, did you know that humans have fiber in breast milk? That sounds like the most foreign thing that there would be in breast milk, but it turns out there is. So there's soluble fiber there. It's called, uh, we call them human milk oligosaccharides or sugars found in the breast milk that are not digestible by you, but are specifically uh, digestible quite readily by bacteria in your gut. And these uh, bacteria, particularly the bifidobacteria, will process those um, human milk oligosaccharides or those human milk sugars, those fibers, into short-chain fatty acids or SCFAs. And we're gonna talk more about the benefits of short-chain fatty acids. So you get this nice milk uh, as your, as your um, drinking the, the breast milk as a, as a child. And eventually by the time you're about three, your, your microbiota stabilizes. It's quite unstable before that time. Uh, one of the major issues is actually uh, um, that a lot of people take a lot of antibiotics very early in life and that can cause quite a dramatic um, shift in the microbiota. And, and that's something we could talk about a bit more if we have some questions on that. But yeah, it is, it stabilizes by about three and having these beneficial bacteria actually helps prevent Autoimmune type diseases um, is really good to prevent things like asthma and allergies and so forth. And how is it now, once you are weaned, that you replace those fibers? Well, you start to eat foods that contain fibers, right? So you have um, good foods, like here we have a picture of some Saskatoon berries. Um, uh, we find lots of them out here where I am in Alberta, but you can find uh, in, in blueberries, in onions, in leeks, in vegetables, fruits, nuts, uh, particularly um, certain onions and, and leeks, you find uh, soluble fibers in high quantities, and those will really support uh, the good bacteria. So we call them prebiotic. Um, on the other hand, if you eat something more like a meat, um, there is good evidence, and we'll look a little bit at that, uh, that this promotes uh, the more putrefactive types of microbes. They have some toxic byproducts. So. Uh, how does this all work? Let's look at a picture here of first the place where it's happening, right? So, um, you know, I'm not going to start going through the anatomy of everything here, but basically you can see that there in this photo, I don't really have a pointer here. I guess my, uh, yeah, my um, doesn't let me point. But if you look, you can, most of you know what the 
the colon uh, is quite is that you know large uh, part that where the vast majority of the bacteria are located. It's labeled there, and you have you know the, the different parts of the colon. But notice that this the small intestine, which is much longer, attaches to the colon down at a place at the ileum where there's this ileocecal junction. So there's the cecum, and then that sort of upper ascending colon uh, continues from there. And that ileocecal junction is quite important because you, some of you may have heard of things like SIBO or um, you know, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, that could be because of uh, backup and um, ileocecal valve issues. And we'll, we, we won't talk too in depth about that, but if you have questions about that, we'll talk about it at the end a little bit more. So I wanna, I wanna review now because now we know where the small intestine is. So the small intestine doesn't have the majority of bacteria, but for the purposes of, of this uh, illustration, I wanna just take a look because there's a really nice video that shows sort of why that surface area is so huge. So um, there's an interesting thing that happens. This is a short video, hopefully you guys can see this. So I was just coming in, looking at the intestine and the crypts and um, how this, how this bowel actually looks uh, from Hans Cleaver's lab out in um, Hubert. So you can see the villi, these little, these little nodules sticking up now. What's important about them, they provide a huge surface area for absorption of your, of your food, right? Of the nutrients from your food. Because the vast majority of absorption is happening in your small bowel, right? And notice there are these crypts. And at the base of the crypt, you have stem cells. And those stem cells, are providing new cells continuously up towards the villus. So you'll see that start happening so shortly here. So say they label a stem cell there and you can watch that come and they've been using some fancy genetic means to label this. This is uh, just kind of a reenactment of it. But, um, and then those cells differentiate, some of them becoming goblet cells that produce mucus. So lining your gut, one, the two key points I wanna bring out here is you only have a single layer of cells lining that gut that's preventing uh, connection or interaction with, with the um, uh, you know, underlying uh, tissue. And uh, above that layer of cells is a layer of mucus. And that layer of mucus is really key. So we're gonna talk more about that. And notice how when the, you know, when the two uh, opposing sides meet, the top, these cells die. They die by anoikis, it's a, a you know, death by, death by detachment, um, and uh, this is continuously happening, a very protective mechanism in your gut. Why? Because then those cells can't linger, and all those terrible foods that you ate and all the carcinogens you've ingested don't have the time to uh, cause mutations in them that would lead to cancer. Or if they do have a mutation, well, they're, they're going to die really soon anyway, so it's not too big of a deal. And this does happen where... Um, for example, and you'll see this briefly here now, if you do have a um, mutation that leads to uh, um, an adenoma there, or you have a mutation that leads to more cells um, uh, not continuing on to differentiate, but forming more of a polyp in that region, what ends up happening is um, that those cells can linger there for a longer time, be exposed to the carcinogens for a longer time, and then it's more likely for you to have cancer. So that's why, you know, the doctor will tell you, um, oh, you've got a polyp, we need to remove it. Um, we really don't want um, you to have, uh, you know, greater likelihoods of cancer. So here you see these cells forming and forming and more and more of them. And now you get this 
region of extra cells that now need to be, um, uh, you know, unfortunately removed. Otherwise, they're just going to keep on multiplying, and the, and there are stem cells supplying that, so it grows into this growth that that's continuously exposed, at, or at least in that region, can be affected by carcinogens. So. Uh, that's just kind of more of, a, of where the microbiome is interacting with you. So important to know kind of the placement of things and, and what's going on. So continuing on, um, remember that single layer of cells. So you have this epithelial layer and above that layer you have mucus. And notice how in the picture I, I'm showing you there, there are bacteria, these happy green bacteria that are sitting in this mucus layer. And they're gonna stay happy as long as you keep feeding them, okay? And what do they like to eat? They like to eat the fibers, uh, particularly these soluble fibers that you get in foods. Um, when these soluble fibers come here, the bacteria will process them and make them uh, by their own metabolism. Uh, one type of bacteria, Ficlibacterium prisnitsi, is gonna be able to metabolize the butyrate uh, or the, the, uh, the fibers into butyrates and that butyrate gets absorbed by your intestinal epithelial cells. And not only is it a source of energy for those cells, which is an important part of, of its benefit, it also dampens inflammation. So it inhibits uh, the inflammatory response there. So it's actually kind of a, a signal that, you know what, these bacteria that are there are good, they're healthy, they're not gonna affect me, they're, they're actually helping me, I shouldn't react, I shouldn't freak out. Um, and they're all happily staying in that mucus layer, right? Um, on the other hand, if you start to starve those microbes, so if you're not providing the fibers that you, would, you should be eating in order to, to uh, maintain that population, what ends up happening is they start eating your mucus. Some of them do. Certain ones, we call them mucolytic bacteria, they have the capacity to chew up the mucus because mucus turns out to also be carbohydrate that has very similar uh, structure and, and it, well, not exactly the same structure, but it has structures that are uh, usable by these bacteria for their energy source. So if, if you don't feed them, they eat you, basically. Um, and once they've eaten you, they, your, your layer becomes thin and now certain bacteria that may be more pathogenic, they have a greater likelihood of, of getting in. And unfortunately, these opportunistic microbes, even the toxins from them can come in in increase inflammation so you get sort of a leaky leaky gut syndrome happening here and um, uh, there's been a lot of research into just how this works uh, and there's some pretty pretty high high power papers papers like one in cell that that showed this uh, specifically through through a high fiber versus uh, low fiber diet um, continuing on you see so just to kind of give you an idea and this this is uh, there's a lot of different fibers in mother's milk. So these are the, the milk fibers. Uh, just there's, there's a whole uh, gamut of them here um, that um, we were involved in identifying at one point during some studies I did at SickKids with um, uh, Richard Wu, who who's, was fantastic. Uh, he's now in medical school there. And um, interesting study he did, which was quite uh, fascinating to me, was we did an in vitro study where we looked at the uh, intestinal epithelial cells. And you notice if you're looking at those cells, you can see in the control on the top left, you can see that there's uh, this green layer that kind of goes around each cell. And that, that you could see as kind of the patio 
um, cement, if you will, that's holding those patio blocks together. Those are the junctions that hold those epithelial cells together and prevent stuff from leaking through. So that's a good thing that, that that's there. If you treat these bacteria, these, uh, these epithelial cells in, in a tissue culture dish with, um, with a, an infective uh, bacterium like enterohemorrhagic E. coli or EHEC, what'll happen is it busts those junctions apart, opens them up and allows um, the bacteria to get through. And what he found, which was quite amazing, was that if he pre-treated these cells with um, human milk sugars, so purified from mother's milk, from a bank, a bunch of mother's milk, um, they were protected from this effect. They, the enterohemorrhagic E. coli was unable to get through there and, and um, bust them apart, even without any other bacteria there. So there are benefits of these fibers, um, even, even without uh, other bacteria. Here's just a, this is just a measure of just how much, uh, in, this was actually um, to see how much is leaking through these layers. And we could see very clearly that in the presence of, um, of, the, uh, of the sugar, it was protected. So you weren't getting um, the HMO plus EHEC, the, this, this large mole uh, molecular weight sugar wasn't able to pass through those, those um, those channels and uh, oh, this is interesting but uh, for the interest of time I won't talk too much about it. it's more what what we found just to quickly briefly you don't have to look at the slides too much we found that actually the the, sh the sugars the human milk sugars they actually upregulate chaperones that help make the mucus so more mucus gets made and that could be one of the reasons why this is protected that's it for this episode don't miss part two in the next episode of the Lifestyle is Medicine podcast. To learn more about Lifestyle is Medicine and our Lifestyle Med live events, go to our website, www.lifestylemed.org. You can also learn more about our clinic partner, Pathways Lifestyle Medicine Clinics, at www.pathwaystoholeness.ca. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, remember, your lifestyle is medicine.